This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Storytime, where we talk about all things real estate. I'm your host, Saad Munir. Today, I have my friend and close lender partner, Nate Magadam of Fairway Mortgage Corporation joining me. He's based in Greater Boston, and he and I have done a bunch of deals together over the last year or so. He's been an awesome partner for my business and for the Tory team. Welcome to Storytime, Nate. Hey, how's it going, Saad? Thanks for having me here. Of course, of course. Now, for the folks tuning in, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and how you got into the lending business. Cool. So, yeah, uh, thanks again for having me. Um, my name is Nate Mogadam. I'm with Fairway Mortgage. And I've uh, just been real estate's been a part of my whole life. My growing up, my mom was a real estate agent. So I spent tons of hours watching her scour through MLS and talking to clients. And so that's how I got my first introduction to the business. And coming out of college, I was a financial advisor at that point. So I got, I was actually licensed as, as a lender, but really I spent a lot of my time working with a lender as a partner as a, when I was a financial advisor and learning the ins and outs of the business. Uh, fast forward a few years, I ended up buying my first property and, and you know, that experience really got my interest going. And that's when I joined Fairway. Love it. Awesome. Now, Nate, obviously both of us have invested in multifamilies. We've worked with a lot of clients who have as well. Um, there are a bunch of nuances when it comes to investing in uh, a multifamily property, uh, either as a primary residence or as an investor. And we'll get into a little bit of both. But let's start with the whole idea of house hacking. Um, when someone uses the term house hacking, that usually refers to someone purchasing a multifamily, living in one unit, renting out um, the others or the other one, if it's, if it's a two family, uh, to help pay for the mortgage. Uh, the biggest advantage in that situation uh, for our listeners is you don't pay investment property interest rates, which are higher than primary residence rates, nor do you have to put the minimum down payment for investment properties, which is typically around 25%. Did I explain that right, Nate? Yeah, you explained it perfectly. When you buy a home, whether it's a condo or for family, if you occupy the property as a primary residence, you will get the best, in the better interest rate, I should say. Because when you're buying as an investor, there's more risk associated with that. And so they charge you more on the rate. The other huge benefit, like you brought up, is the down payment, where if you're if you're a traditional investor, you're looking at, you know, 15 to 25 percent, 20, I think 25 percent is the norm. Uh, and you could buy a multifamily, four family with as low as three and a half percent down. 
So it's uh, those are two huge advantages. Uh, having the flexibility to live in there for at least a year opens the door to opens the door to you for those for those advantages. So. Got it. And and is that is that that year long time frame you mentioned? Is that the minimum requirement? Yeah, you have to you have to be willing to live there for a minimum of a year. So that's the differentiator. And you have to live there for a year, but afterwards, whatever you do, that's up to you. All right. So Nate, now you were smart enough to, uh, I believe, have house hacked yourself. Tell us about your experience uh, in thought process. Yeah. So I had a really unique experience. Uh, I didn't. I didn't plan on doing it, but I was renting the property that I eventually bought. And uh, I spent about four years living there as a renter. My daughter was born there, so the home did have some sentimental value to it. Uh, eventually, I realized the landlord wanted to get out of it. And not quite sure why, but he wanted to leave. And, and that's when I started the conversation with him. But I realized quickly the importance of having a, a real estate agent because he wasn't really taking me too seriously. He was just like, oh, you know, he, he doesn't have, like, he can't buy this house. He, he was dismissing me. So I got my team together. I had a real estate agent. Actually, he was an old friend of my mom's. And he, re he really was a good negotiator like yourself, really focused on, on the deal and also connected me with a lender at the time who, I mean, if you asked me then, I, I really didn't think I could, I could get the home, but he, he figured it out and. And one thing led to another. Eventually, I bought the home. Um, I have. I really wasn't thinking about cash flow, living for free, and I knew there was a rental income, and that was important to me. I was like, okay, great, I'll get an extra eighteen hundred dollars to reduce my mortgage. But it wasn't top of my mind, and some something I really realized the power of until maybe even a few years later. I, th I think it's one one interesting thing about it for me is that the deal got better. As years pass by, I bought the home and it was one, one deal, right? Like I'm, my mortgage is 3000 and I'm going to have to pay, you know, my rent is going to be 1800 over the years. The, the rents actually increased because I did a couple things to fix it up and, right. and time passed. And on the other hand, I was able to refinance, lower my rate. And actually the biggest game changer was appreciation where, you know, forget about the rent, forget about everything else my home went up a ton in value. And so that experience of buying a home really got me interested to go all in and mortgages and help more people learn about the, the way you can get into multifamily investing and even just home ownership. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on a couple of points that, uh, that it, it, it makes it's a great segue into what we're going to be talking about, obviously, but also into a couple of past episodes I've done. Uh, you know, we episode five on timing the market, episode 14 on, rep on real estate investing 101. So if anybody is interested in some of the things that Nate is talking about, and obviously the things that he's seen firsthand, definitely go check out some of those episodes so you can learn a little bit more about that whole idea of long-term investing, seeing appreciation, all that kind of stuff. So thanks for sharing, Nate. Um, so let's set the stage, right? Uh, just in terms of like, what the multifamily market looks like and how things have transpired, uh, especially over the last few years. So first, nationally, multifamily investment volume is at record highs. There's a lot of people out there who want to invest uh, in general and, 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 of course, in real estate, uh, but specifically in multifamilies. Why? I mean, investors, 
they're continuing to seek out these deals, these assets as a hedge, of course, against inflation, which is at, you know, is at some serious highs right now due to their combination of appreciation and stable cash flow, both of which, you know, you had mentioned in your story, Nate. Um, multifamily vacancy rates, they're low. Uh, nationally, they've been around, around 6% in 2022, down from about 9% in 2020. Um, this low vacancy rate is a sign of strong demand for rental housing, which is good news for multifamily investors everywhere. Rents, again, you alluded to this as well. They're rising everywhere. The median gross rent for a U.S. apartment unit in a multifamily is around $1,800, actually closer to $1,900. This, this was back in August of 2022, which is up 8% from the same month in 2021. That growth is being driven by a number of factors, right? Including strong demand, limited supply, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, inflation. And now, not surprisingly, multifamily properties are appreciating in value, just like yours has, Nate, like, but, and just like most residential real estate. That appreciation is expected to continue in the coming years as demand for multifamily housing remains strong and more, most importantly, probably as supply continues to remain low. Now, locally, things are a little bit different, but they're still trending in the same direction, right? And a lot of that in greater Boston, where Nate and I you know, live and work, is driven by the fact that this particular area is one of the most desirable places to live in the entire country. Yes, it's expensive, but there's a lot of things that are driving the demand up here. Um, number one, volume again is at record highs, just like it is nationally. Vacancy rates, they're even lower in the greater Boston area for multifamily units. They're around 4.6%, and they were around 4.6% in 2022 compared to 5.2% in 2021. So they're even lower than they are nationally. Rents are much higher. Median gross rent for a multifamily unit it was just shy of $3,100 in August of 2022, which was up 16.5% from the same month in 2021. So the growth was doubled in greater Boston compared to nationally during that same time frame when it comes to rents. And again, not surprisingly, appreciation is expected to continue just like it is in the rest of the country. So Nate, before we dive into house hacking and how to do it effectively, any of what I just shared with you surprise you or is there anything that you want to add here? It's all really interesting statistics and great information. I mean, I think lower vacancy rates are right now associated with the fact that buying a home is is harder with these interest rates. So the harder it is for people to qualify for a home, the more they're going to rent. And that's also driving the rents up. So we're kind of in that in that situation right now. And I, 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 I do like the point you made about Boston, where I believe it during 2008, we were one of the most insulated cities from the housing crash. So it's real estate is local. And, and I think in certain areas, you can you can see that appreciation being consistent regardless of what happens in the economy. Right. And I think I think no matter what your what your situation is, realize that it comes down to two things, supply and demand. Like, yes, there's a lot of different factors, but ultimately supply and demand should, should be the main thing that you could you think about before you kind of dive in to multifamily investing, either as a primary residence or as an investor. So, uh, so yes, definitely take note of, of those statistics and, and those general trends as you evaluate what makes sense for you. So, Nate, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll delve into your tips, tricks, and, and things to keep in mind when it comes to multifamily investing and house hacking. 
Hey everyone, Saad here from Storytime. I hope you're enjoying all the talk about real estate. I absolutely love it and I have been having a ton of fun putting these together for you. If you're liking what you're hearing or even if you've learned something new, one thing that would be super helpful is if you would leave a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. It would mean a ton to us. It helps us reach more people and build a community of real estate enthusiasts. Also, if you have any real estate questions, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me through my Instagram handle. That's Saad Munir. I'm easily searchable, but S-A-A-D-M-U-N-1-R. The I is a one. And I might even be able to answer your question in a future episode. Thanks again for tuning into Storytime. Welcome back to Storytime. Today, we're talking about multifamily investing and house hacking with my friend and Tory partner, Nate Mogadam of Fairway. Nate, let's dive in, especially for those folks that might be considering something like house hacking as a means to start their home ownership and real estate investment journey. So first, a few questions for you. In your view, what are some of the main benefits of house hacking? So like I said before, I look at the rental income from a multifamily property as subsidizing your your mortgage you're getting these rents from from tenants and it's basically paying your mortgage for you and in the ideal world it covers your whole mortgage costs or even you profit from it but even just reducing that monthly payment is a big win and so that's probably the biggest advantage to house hacking in my opinion also the fact that the home appreciation which which you know it's more of a long game but the appreciation in the home value is going to be a lot more substantial than what you ever make in terms of right. rental income. So the rental income in my mind, just, Hey, if you can even break even and keep going and, and holding this property, the long-term game is really home, the appreciation of the property, which you'll see real gains five, 10 years down the road. Right. And one thing I want to add there is, uh, you know, <laughs> I've said this in other episodes, that's the chess versus checkers game, right? Yep. There's so many people, so many investors out there that uh, that are focused on, even seasoned ones that are focused on cash flow. Uh, really, the, the the advanced level and the, the way that, you know, the folks that have the most net worth in this country and in the world, uh, the way they've built their wealth is by holding and, and by uh, by seeing the appreciation of that particular property and all the benefits that come with that. One other thing I wanted to add was the tax benefits. So there are plenty of, you know, tax benefits of owning multifamilies or, or having a rental units. Like obviously, you know, I'm not a tax pro, so you should definitely talk to the CPA, but a few examples is being able to deduct mortgage interest associated with the rental property, along with most other costs of ownership, like maintenance and repairs and things like that. So the tax impact of the rental income is much more muted. Uh, you know, when, when you're able to kind of take advantage of these types of strategies. Any negatives of or particular challenges to be aware of if you go down this path, mate? Uh, yeah, 100%. Being a landlord is not for everyone. And so there's always options, right? You can get a property manager. It could be costly. It could might not be. But I've talked to plenty of uh, home buyers that when I propose the idea of, of buying multifamily, I just say, no, you know what? Being a landlord is just not for me. And I can respect that. Uh, I don't think, I think there's a lot of scare stories about being a landlord that, that may be blown out of proportion. Of course, I've had my own, but you, you learn to deal with them. And, and for the most part, 
if you work with a good realtor that, I mean, I always use a realtor to rent out my property. They help me, uh, they help me find applicants. I vet them out myself. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of it is just doing things the right way and kind of weeding out issues that could come down the road, but definitely being a landlord is, is, could be taken as a negative of buying a multifamily or house hacking. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, so the main thing that Nate said is that it's not for everybody, right? Being a landlord is not for everybody. So, but like, you know, with, with, with all the stuff that comes along with it, um, uh, you know, yes, there are some, there are some challenges, but it's gotta be treated like a business, right? Like no business is super easy. Uh, and, and being a landlord is no different. So, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. A little bit later, and it's later, and but, it's tough uh, too when you live in the property with these people. Like you know, when you're house hacking and you're in unit one, and your tenants are in unit two, unit three, you see them every day. So you know you do have to handle it as a business, even though sometimes you can even become friends. But the business yeah. is still business, so it is it is a difficult job. Right. There's there's even within that there's pros and cons. Uh -huh. right? There's good things of have of of having those people that might be above you. You become friends with them what have you, but there's could be some really big challenges that come out of that as well. Right. So a uh, great point. Another piece uh, is, you know, often, at least, especially in greater Boston, these are older properties. You're not talking about purchasing like, you know, brand new construction, multifamily, like those barely exist, right? At least in this part of the, the country. You know, if you aren't sure about the home you want to buy, like, you know, you, you go down this path and you're not sure about the home, make sure you get that inspection. <laughs> Uh, you know, I still refer to my inspection report, Nate, I'm sure you refer to yours as well. Uh, uh, honestly, like, you know, like some of these homes are really old. Like I think Nate, yours is from 1940. Yep, that's right. right. Like the foundation, what have you. Um, mine, uh, you know, uh, was from 1910, right? So, so naturally, I mean, well, yes, there was some renovation that was done on the inside and what have you, but naturally, I mean, something that's 120 years old. Like there's going to be some things that you have to keep in mind and you have to kind of like prepare for, uh, you know, as they come down, uh, as you kind of go down the path of home ownership. Um, you know, I look at older homes as an opportunity to increase your equity by, by improving them. You obviously, you know, pay less for some of those properties and you would, that's something, something that's brand new. You know, there's a lot of programs in Massachusetts, like Mass Save, right, Nate? I'm sure. Have you used Mass Save before? Yeah, I have. I use Mass Save to replace both of my boilers and at the same time I added air conditioning. So it was a big win and I insulated my whole home. 0% interest, awesome. seven year loan. Uh, they have a lot of great incentives. So it's a, in my, if you live in Massachusetts, it's a huge, it's a. Yeah. And, and that's not just for multifamilies. Like, oh yeah. Like, so any homeowner, any homeowner, you, you know, use mass save. It's a friend. <laughs> you get the, their free energy audit and it can actually save you a lot of money. So, um, another question for you, Nate, can you house hack a single family home or a condo? Definitely. So there's, there's different ways of house hacking for me. The go-to house hack is a multifamily, but I mean, you could buy a single family and rent rooms out. You could, you could, you could do the same thing with a condo. I, I think condos are more difficult in general because from the lender's perspective, they have condo fees, HOAs and. HOA fees and that adds to your monthly payment. Of course, a single family, you're going to have to pay for yard work. You're going to have costs, but it's not a set amount that can increase every year, you know, and, and so sometimes these HOA fees are unaffordable. Anyways, without going into that too much, it makes the, it, it can add to your costs and cash flowing, for example, would become a, 
difficult task with a condo. And they even have uh, HOAs also have restrictions as well when it comes to renting out or Airbnb. So you you definitely want to pay attention to stuff. One one piece on that is a lot of condos in Greater Boston. Like if you're thinking about, hey, I'll buy you know a, a three bedroom and rent out one or two be- two bedrooms. There's a lot of condo docs. Make sure you read the condo docs. Is the point because because in many cases they'll say like you know rental is allowed, but number one, it needs to be for a certain amount of time minimum, right? But number two, you're either renting out the whole unit or nothing. Like they, they don't allow you to rent by the room or something like that. So if you're thinking about doing that with a condo, definitely make sure you review the condo docs, just like Nate, Nate alluded to. It's super important to understand what the rules and regulations are for that particular association. The, you know, I, I agree with you, Nate, too. Multifamily, probably the most foolproof and advantageous way to do it in Massachusetts. That would be my recommendation for folks, but you know, every situation is different. Different locations are different as well. So, Nate, what are the key things someone needs to do to go down this path? Like if they're thinking about multifamily, maybe thinking about house hacking, what's kind of like the thought process of the to-do list? Uh, you, I think you should be aware of what your local of your local market, right? Real estate is local. Everyone always says that uh, you want to understand the area that you're, you want to target an area and, and really focus on that place. What, you know, uh, what the rules are in that city, for example, if you're looking to do Airbnb or something like that, for example, in Boston, you, there's, there's laws around that. So I think just understanding, understanding your local area. And then from a state level, uh, landlord laws are something that I hear a lot about from house hackers and different states have different laws. So maybe something you want to be aware of as well. What about, you know, in terms of you're talking about like doing your research, right, on the local market, what about calculating cash flow and, and budgeting for expenses? Like obviously these are things that need to be thinking about too as well. That's a good question. I So when I think about cash flow, again, I, I don't hyper-focus on it personally if I was a buyer because you want to think long-term. Real estate isn't something like us. It's not like anything else, right? It's where you, where you live. So I would focus more on the appreciation and that's why location is a little bit more important for that. But of course you want to, you want to see, okay, if my mortgage is going to be $4,000 and I'm getting $2,000 in rent. Am I first of all, okay to pay $2,000 and as well as, is it really, am I, am I really netting $2,000 or what are the costs going to be for maintaining this property? Does it have a gigantic yard? Is it built in the 1940s? You know, maybe that has some extra maintenance requirements. So you want to get more into the weeds a little bit and to understand what the actual cost of owning that home would be so you can calculate your cash flow. So anything in particular you should be considering when, when, you, when you use some of these programs? For example, FHA is a common one. Uh, that some people want to use when they like go down the path of purchasing a multifamily. Is there something in particular they need to be considering there? Yeah. So some of these loan programs have reserve requirements. FHA is, has the lowest reserve requirements. Reserves being, they want to make sure that you have X amount of months of the monthly payment in your bank when you close, just in case, for example, the tenant stops paying you. So I, regardless of what the loan program says, I, I personally believe that everyone should have at least six months of a rainy day fund for whatever might happen. FHA says you can you can close a loan with zero to three months and conventional is uh, six months and more. But in general, again, like you want to have 
you don't want to be house poor. I think is the expression. You want to have right. some money because you never know what's going to come up. And that's part of, part of just general good budgeting practice. Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be things to do, right? Like whether you're a homeowner, you own a single family or not, uh, you know, or if it's a, a two family, three family, four family, uh, an apartment building, like there's going to be things to do. And it's important to remember, like, like if you have multiple units, you have multiple tenants, you have multiple sets of everything, right? Water heaters, furnaces, dishwashers, refrigerators. So costs can be high. And it's important to plan for those, just like Nate was saying. Exactly. Um, that, another piece, I mean, I would say, you know, finding the right property, right? Obviously that goes in with, with uh, uh, doing your research, but, you know, just because, the, uh, there's a property that works well for you, Nate, doesn't mean it's the right one for me and vice versa, right? So so really kind of like getting the right help to determine, and we'll talk about that in a sec too, but getting the right help to determine what really makes sense for you is really, really important. Um, whether you're doing a multifamily or just investing in general, uh, make sure that you're, you're, uh, you're, trying to, you're finding the right property uh, or type of property um, before you kind of go down that path. Now, let's talk about getting pre-approved, Nate, uh, for those folks that are getting loans. Let's start from the basics. What does getting pre-approved mean? So getting pre-approved is when you talk to a loan officer, you give him all your financials, your, your assets, your income, your liabilities, and they help you determine, well, they, they figure out how much you can qualify for, but they also help you determine what you can afford. Because what you can qualify for is oftentimes a lot more than what you want to pay on a monthly basis or even what you can actually afford. It's sort of a process, right? Where we, we figure out what you can get approved for, but then we work with clients closely so we can determine together what's the best monthly payment that fits their goals and their needs. And, and also just discussing the different loan programs that are available to fit that fits their goals. So let's talk about those programs you just mentioned. Are there any like unique programs right now that are available? to somebody who's looking to house hack at this given point in time? So the most common program for house hacking is FHA. It, the reason why it's the most common is because it has a three and a half percent down payment requirement for a two, three or four family property. So it's just the go-to program. Now that's sort of changing right now, but just to touch on FHA a little bit more, a huge benefit of it is they, they lend more per a given income. So we have debt to income ratios and FHA is more lenient with it, which can be a benefit for certain bu buyers and, and yeah, and, and the reserve requirements lower. So the barrier to entry is the lowest when using FHA. Can you, can you, can you still hear me? We, now there's other programs available. I do a lot of mass housing programs here locally, which uh, up till recently was was a good option if you wanted to do a conventional loan and buy a multifamily. Conventional is is has its benefits as well if you qualify for it. But up right. till about a week ago, buying a multifamily with a conventional with a conventional loan program required a minimum of fifteen percent or even up to twenty five percent if you're buying a four family. Even as a primary residence. As a primary residence, so. Even when you had a great credit score and you could qualify for the conventional loan like you would want to, people would resort to FHA because it had the lower barrier to entry and got them sure. into the door. Plan was, hey, we'll just refinance later uh, once we get. Right, right. 
So, so talk to us and you just kind of alluded to it, right? There's been some big news uh, recently about uh, the recent change regarding loans backed by Fannie Mae for multifamilies that are being used as primary residents. Share with everybody, like, you know, what's coming down the pipe when it comes to that. So I knew you were going to ask this because it's a huge topic this week, especially in, in the real estate world. Fannie Mae, which is one of the, one of the programs we use for conventional loans is allowing down payments as low as 5% for two, three, and four family properties. And it's a big deal because when you do a conventional mortgage, the the mortgage insurance, when you put less than 20% down, you have mortgage insurance. That mortgage insurance is usually cheaper. And it also goes away once you reach 20% equity, which is a huge win for any homeowner. You're going to eventually your monthly payment's going to drop with FHA. It's for 11 years or the life of the loan, which a lot of times 11 years is could be the life of the loan. You might move before that ever goes away. Um, also, as unfortunately, FHA gets sort of like a bad rep in the in the market because FHAs have a special appraisal. They look for things. Some they look for it's a government loan, so they're looking for things could be chipping paint or missing handrails. You want to make sure people are safe, and of course, you want your home to to have the to not have chipping paint, but you don't want that to stop you from from being able to buy it. So a lot of times, sellers don't like FHA, and this gives buyers an opportunity to present a conventional program, which sellers have no problem with. It makes the right. buyer's likelihood of closing or to get their offer accepted a lot higher. Another huge benefit of going conventional is that there's no self-sufficiency test, which is when which with FHA is actually preventing a lot of people from qualifying for three and four family properties. So in a way, it's great that FHA has a low barrier to entry, but for three and four families in certain areas like Boston, it's virtually impossible to actually qualify for those because what this self-sufficiency test says is that 75% of all the units being rented has to be, has to be less than your mortgage payment. So so for example, if you have four units, if you're buying a four family and all units are renting for 2,500 each, then 75, then your mortgage has to be less than $7,500. And in certain markets like Boston, that's difficult to achieve with conventional. They don't have that rule. So, so it actually opens the door for people who want to house hack or people who want to buy multifamily properties right. to actually get, get offers accepted and, and move through with the purchase. Right. So, so just in general, this, this chain means potentially way less restrictions, not potentially, definitely way less restrictions when it comes to somebody's, uh, somebody who wants to either house hack or just buy a multifamily in general. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's a bit. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, no matter what your situation is, clearly just, it's super important just to understand what your options are from a financing uh, perspective. So listeners get connected to a lender. Nate's a great person to chat with about, about these programs, understand what's available to you, what your options are. So you can, you know, make the best decision for you, um, as you kind of go down that path. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention when it comes to process and things you need to do is put together a business plan. Uh, I alluded to it earlier, but I can't stress it enough. Treat buying property especially as an investor, but just in general, like, like owning a business, 
Uh, th this will help you track your progress, make sure that you're on track to meet your financial goals. Treat this and really any home purchase, as I mentioned earlier, like you're buying a business because it's going to put you in the best position for success, short, medium, and long-term. Flying by the seat of your pants really is not a strategy. Uh, you know, they say in business, they say in sales, they say in just, you know, uh, in, in, in a lot of walks of life, hope is not a strategy, right? Uh, that's definitely the case here as well. So whatever your plan is with your multifamily, have a plan uh, and, and write it down and get some help with it. It's just going to be better for you in the long run. Um, lastly, don't do it alone. Get the help you need. I mentioned, you know, you know, lenders like Nate to, to help make sure you're in the clear regarding financing, that you know your options. A local agent, of course, to help you identify properties, get help with the deal, share expertise, all that kind of stuff. And talk to other people who've done it, right? I mean, learn from them, especially any mistakes or pitfalls that you should be keeping in mind. Um, you know, getting real life examples can be super powerful. Um, so, I, I, you know, I've done a couple of deals with folks who, who wanted to house hack uh, with a multifamily family. In fact, one of those I did with you, Nate, right? Um, we, we heard your personal story, but is there another like multifamily or house hacking situation with a client that comes to mind that listeners can learn from? I thought of this and I have one client jumps on because actually her story came full circle this year. And, uh, back in 2021, I was, I was, I met a, a lady who was a single mom. She wasn't talking about or thinking about buying a multifamily, but just by advising her about the different options and sort of just came up in conversation. Uh, we, we went that direction and she ended up closing on, I believe it was a two family in Worcester and she, she did FHA three and a half percent down. So she lived there up till 2023, but to take a step back, she, she fixed the bathroom. I think she, she renovated the kitchens. She did a couple of things to make the place gain value in the last year and a half that she was there. Uh, eventually she, decided she didn't want to live there anymore. I think she wasn't land being a landlord wasn't for her. And, and more importantly, her daughter was growing. They really just wanted to have their own home, their own space. And a lot of times I'd recommend just rent out your home and do, and, and just buy another place. But for them, it didn't make sense because actually by holding that home, they were able to, they, they gained almost, I think it was $250,000 of equity in just around two years. And we're able to sell the home and tap, use that equity to buy the single family that they really wanted. So I think it just popped into my mind because it's, it's relevant right now, but it was a huge win for her and, and goes back to our topic earlier about how the rents are good, right? But appreciation can be better. Yeah. I mean, this is a prime example of chess versus checkers. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, somebody who, 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 who saw an opportunity and was like, Hey, this could be a good idea. The very least, I'll I'll build some equity here, and it's going to help me with what I do want to do down the line. So, one hundred percent. I mean, just kind of reiterating that point. Uh, th these examples, uh, you know, th this example of what Nate just shared. Um, I mean, this is like when when people when people think about it that way, like bigger things happen down the line. As long as, as long as again, you don't get caught up too much with, uh, with the cash flow piece, it can really help you down the line. And again, another example, I mean, another point that this brings up is again, being a landlord is not for everybody, right? This client, this client clearly it wasn't, but, but still it helped her 
with what her, what her ultimate goal was was to provide a home for uh, you know comfortable home for for her family. Um, so that's awesome. Now, so to wrap up here, look, the stats speak for themselves, right? Uh, obviously, there's a huge opportunity with multifamily investing, but living in a property while someone else is helping you pay your mortgage and build equity is not just a house hack. In my opinion, it's a life hack. Uh, Nate's an example of that. At this point, I can only wish that I knew about this strategy when I started investing in real estate. It's too late for me now, but especially you aspiring first-time homeowners uh, and investors, seriously consider house hacking. I'm certainly not saying it's easy, especially given prices and interest rates right now, but there are a lot of programs and strategies out there to consider if you feel it could be an avenue for you. Nate and I obviously discussed some of those today. Nate, thanks for jumping on today, man. Always appreciate you. And thanks for being such a key member of the Tory Network. Thank you so much, Saad. I appreciate you for having me here and giving me the audience to spread some of this knowledge with. Absolutely. So thanks to you all for listening in today. Storytime is a production of Refilion Media. It's produced by Ari Matei. Follow me on Instagram at Saad Munir. That's S-A-A-D-M-U-N-1-R. And follow Tori at Tori Holmes, that's with two eyes, And of course, Nate at Nate Loans. Once again, I'm Saab Munir. Until next time.